The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. Well, welcome once again. I am so glad you're here. If you are new, please come find me tonight at the party. I would love a chance to get to know you. Here's something about me that's kind of a dirty little secret. I have terrible road rage. Really bad. If you have been in a car with me and I am driving, this is what you see. Come on! Hands up. I might honk every once in a while. It's kind of shameful. Yeah, kind of like that. It's it's pretty bad. Uh, And the longer I'm in traffic, the more my frustration rises and the words that I say become less and less like words that I should be saying as someone who works for the church. Uh, And my anxiety gets higher and higher, especially if it's unexpected. If I thought I was going to breeze right from here to downtown, which I don't know why I would ever have convinced myself that that was possible, but if I have and I get stuck in traffic, I am so angry. And the thing is, is I don't think I'm actually angry about the traffic. I hate waiting. It is a known joke in my house that patience is a virtue of which yet I have not acquired uh, ever. And so I, it just drives me crazy. We are in the third week here of our series, Found, and we're wrapping up our Advent series. And as it turned out, not by any great planning of my own, but by God's providence or luck, that it turned out that the way this setup was really great, because we are going to need the first two weeks in order to move in to the third. The first week we were here, we took a look at Joseph, and we took a look at somebody who was found asleep. And we asked ourselves this one question. Can we let go of our dreams in order to follow God into the reality in which he called us? And last week, we had the opportunity to look at the story of Zechariah. And we looked at someone who was found afraid. And we asked ourselves, what are we afraid of? And the answer we came to is that we're actually really afraid to hope. It was a really scary thing. This week is all about waiting And as it'll turn out to fully live into waiting, the kind of waiting that God wants to call us to, we're going to be able to do two things. One, we're going to have to be able to give up our will in order to follow his. And two, we're going to have to be able to lean into hope, the confident expectation that what is coming is worth it and is for sure going to come. Tonight, we get to learn about a story from two people who knew about waiting. Because the fact of the matter is, is we are always waiting. It is going to be our human condition. We cannot avoid it. What we can do, though, is learn how to move from waiting that causes anxiety and stress to a sense of anticipation. We have uh, Luke 2, if we could bring it up here. And Luke 2, 22. When the time came for the purification rites by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. 
When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, The child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She had never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have come to us in this Advent season, and we pray that you would open your word to us tonight. Open our hearts and our minds that we may begin to follow you in waiting. Amen. The Advent stories are full of people waiting for something. A baby, a Messiah, a sign. Simeon and Anna, though, they're waiting for all three. And they have been the majority of their lives. My question for us tonight is, how did they do it? How do they wait so long and never grow bitter, never try to rush ahead and force their own way? I think there are three things that we can learn from this story tonight that I want us to look at. One is that they understood that waiting is an active thing. It is never a passive idea. Two, they were willing to do the hard work of waiting. And don't let it fool you, waiting is really hard work. And three, they truly understood who it was, and what it was that they were waiting for. One of the most common conversations I have with all of you and that I have with my own mother goes like this. I'm so tired of waiting for blank, whatever it is. Fill it in. We live in a world that pushes us to move faster and faster. We expect things to be instantaneous. That tells us that waiting is for losers. And so we fight against it, and it exhausts us. I think C.K. Lewis actually says it way better than I ever could. Not C.S. Lewis, although he is brilliant, but C.K. Lewis, who's a comedian. And he did an interview, and he was on the show with Conan O'Brien. And while talking to Conan, he says, Flying is the worst, because people come back from their flights, and they tell you their story, and it's like a horror story. They act like their flight was a cattle car from the 1940s in Germany. That's how bad they make it sound. They're like, this was the worst day of my life. First of all, we didn't board for 20 minutes. And then we get on the plane, and they made us wait for 45 minutes on the runway. We just had to sit there. Oh, really? Yes. What happened next? Did you fly through the air incredibly like a bird? Did you partake in the miracle of human flight, you non-contributing zero? You're flying. That's amazing. Right? How often we pick up our phones. Come on. 
it, as he says, it's going to space. Give it a second. Let it come back. <laughs> I sit there at my computer and I bang on it. It's been two seconds. We want things right away. We've been conditioned to think that waiting is bad. It's an inconvenience. Years after his presentation at the temple, we, we run into Jesus talking with his disciples. And he tells them in a parable in Luke 12. It says, be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. There's nothing passive about the kind of waiting that God calls us to. From the Garden of Eden, before the fall, we see God training us in our times of waiting. We see Adam waiting for his partner and being trained, naming the animals. We see Noah waiting for his reign. Building a boat, but waiting for his reign. There's a reason I think the birth narrative takes such a primary point in so many of these stories in the Bible. And it's because if anyone who's been pregnant knows, it's a time of waiting. It's synonym is expecting. Any mother knows, though, while you're waiting, it's actually the biggest time of preparation. It's time of action. If you were to sit back and go, oh, I'm just waiting for this kid to be born, and do nothing, it'd be a disaster. You would have nowhere to take him home to. You would have no plan. You're given nine months, nine months to prepare your hearts and your homes and your minds. And just as pregnancy is a discipline in waiting, so is dying. Because at least half of us in this room are not going to get pregnant. Which is not. Kind of impossible. Just putting that out there. But we are all going to die. <laughs> we are. And that's actually where we find Simeon. Yes, he is waiting on the consolation of Israel, but we also learn he's waiting to die. My stepfather, Jeff, was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, or ALS, when I was in sixth grade. It is a terminal illness. When you get the diagnosis, the question is not if, the question is when. Given this diagnosis, a lot of people choose two different options. One group chooses to resonate themselves to death. They say, I'm just going to stop living and I'm going to just wait. There's nothing active. It becomes a very passive acceptance. Another can rush headlong, trying to hurry it, and in doing so, miss a lot of wonderful things. Jeff was different, though. He took a different option. He savored each day. In the midst of the pain, he sought joy. He continued to golf all the way through, and he could barely hold a golf club, and he would come home, and he would tell us, if I had known before this happened what I know now about golfing, I would win the PGA. We laughed. I don't think that's true, but he felt like it was. And he, he sat down with my stepbrother and I. He continued to love us and to teach us and to grow us in the midst of this waiting for something to happen. 
And he sat us down one day and he looked at us in the eye and he said, this disease was never my excuse to not live every day. And therefore, it will not be your excuse either. You see, this is the third way. It's the way of Jeff. It's the way of Simeon. It embraces the waiting, not passively, but in action. It allows God to move us and direct us. It's a waiting that requires hard work and training. It allows God to speak into silence, to bring light where there's darkness. Simeon finds no anxiety in waiting for God, only longing and trust that God is going to be faithful. It creates a man strong enough to say, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which have prepared in the sight of all the nations a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory of your people Israel. This type of waiting, though, is hard work. It doesn't happen overnight. I mean, it seems like waiting should be easy. It should be the simple option. Charging ahead should be what's difficult. It becomes difficult, though, because of who we are. It is an antithesis to us to want to wait. We want things quickly. We change so quickly. We're waiting on, so the song says, the world to change. Yeah, I went there. Uh, yeah, I did. We're waiting on new, constantly on new politicians and on new governments and on new jobs and new degrees, and we just want it to come faster. We're willing to follow the quick path to success, the ten easy steps, but we don't want to follow the long road of discipleship. Because we know in our hearts that it takes a long, long, long time which means it requires discipline. Anna was in the temple for 84 years. Okay, this translation, they, all the commentaries talk about, that it's not that she was 84 years old. It's better translated as, and then she was a widow for 84 years. So this woman is about 104. We can't even comprehend that in this room. Like, no one in here can comprehend what it's like to wait for 84 Years for something. Not hours, not days, not months. This is years before she saw Jesus. And it's not just that it takes a long time. It can be really painful. And because it's painful, it requires strength and it requires self-control. You see, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, that Simeon blessed them and said to Mary's mother, this child is destined to become the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your heart too. A sword will pierce your own soul. Waiting is hard work because it requires a strength, a depth of character, that those who rush to the conclusion will never have. Active waiting is never weak. G. Campbell Morgan writes beautifully, Waiting for God means power to do nothing save under command. This is not a lack of power to do anything. Waiting for God needs strength rather than weakness. It is the power to do nothing. It is the strength that holds strength in check. It is the strength that prevents the blundering activity which is entirely false and will make true activity impossible when the definite command comes. 
It requires great self-control to stand in the face of heartache and pain and to withstand it. Mary would experience great pain in her life, but from that pain would be born forth amazing joy. Moses would spend his entire life waiting to get to the promised land, only to be told he wasn't going to go in. Waiting is hard work, you see, because it requires our surrender. Like Moses and Mary, Anna had to surrender her idea of what her life was going to be like to God in her waiting. It's a loss of control. She had waited for one thing, a husband and a family, which had come and it had gone. And so she took her place to wait before God. And here's the great thing, the kicker about Anna. She took it with no actual promise. Simeon had a promise that if you wait, you will see the consolation of Israel. Anna never had that reassurance. All she had was the knowledge that her God was one who would never abandon or let down those who waited and trusted on him. Anna spent her entire life actively waiting on God, fasting and praying and worshiping. And when the moment comes and she stands face to face with God, she praises him. She gives thanks for all the time that has come. And then she begins to wait again. This was a child. This wasn't the salvation immediately promised. There was going to be more waiting. But she gives thanks. And how do we do that? How do we have that mindset that can wait and wait and give thanks for more waiting? I have a couple ideas, but I wanted to bring in somebody, at least to answer some questions, that has a lot more practice at waiting than I do. So I invited a wonderful friend of mine, Carol Greenwood, to come up here. And I would love you guys to invite Carol up. Carol is unbelievable. She is one of the most amazing people, I'm not kidding, that you will ever meet. Absolutely. So if you get a chance, you should really, really talk to her because she's just phenomenal, unbelievable. Carol, I, I sent you a couple questions in advance and I wanted to ask you kind of about waiting. I don't, I've been waiting to hear these questions, <laughs> thinking oh. about them. Okay. So the first question that I sent to Carol was this, because I thought this was one we wanted to do. As you have grown in age and, with your, and, and your walk with God, how has your view or understanding of waiting been changed? We waited in the Spokane airport <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> and um, I was refl- I didn't know you were talking about waiting, but I was reflecting on waiting. We were actually on stepping onto the plane as standbys when the gal came and said, Mr. and Mrs. Greenwood, you're off. We're putting someone else on. <laughs> and I, it sort of tickled my funny bone. And I thought about waiting. Um, I think the biggest thing is always for me, it's the word surrender. I start in well on waiting and then things have to go. The expectations of what a kid is going to do or what your husband's going to do in business or, and you just start letting go. And the, the surprise about waiting is there's freedom in it. That's my biggest surprise is the freedom in waiting. And I would have to say that coming to waiting was 
simultaneously, which is often how the Holy Spirit works, um, was the reassurance of how much God loves me. That was the breakthrough. That you can wait if there's somebody who's holding you and loves you unconditionally. So I guess I would say that. Yeah. It seems that we're always waiting for something in life. Whether it's a job or a spouse or a kid or a diagnosis or a phone call, we're always waiting. So how have you moved from that waiting creating anxiety in your life to becoming more of a sense of anticipation of what's to come? Okay, that's... I would say that there's some issues that have have to be settled. And at different stages, you know, I'm now in the 70s decade. And I would say particularly in the 40s, there were things that you're anxious. That's such a busy time for parents. We had four kids and my husband was a CPA, worked a lot. There was a lot of anxiety. And some stuff surfaced about who I was and how I was raised. And the bottom line came, I had to settle the issue of is God good or is he not? Is he good? Because if he's good, I can cast everything on him. And I think it was that growing appreciation. He is reliable, he has power, and he's good. So, I mean, it sounds like, so I immediately let go. But honestly, I just began to see into my 40s and 50s and 60s and now the freedom there is when those two issues get settled. We're, we're loved unconditionally and God is for us. So why waste your time and worry? Yeah, you know, the, and we, we try and we work hard, but there is a point where we all, I think we all probably have a place in our life where we have thought, I should have waited, mm-hmm. where things... We didn't. And how have you seen an example of God's grace in a time maybe you didn't wait for his timing? I think um, our fourth child, I thought the fourth child would be easy because I had done three and bango, here comes number four. (laughs) (laughs) This will be a piece of cake for me and I have some other things I want to do. She was very and is very strong-willed. And early on, we would butt heads and she early on knew how to get to her dad (laughs) <laughs> and it was, we had sort of a three-ring circus. So when those things would happen, I would make the plan tighter and tighter for her. And um, uh, I, would, I would design a plan and, and up the rules, trying to whip her into shape and mold her according to me and instead of seeing who God wanted her to be. And one day I just had it with her. Uh, she was 13. In our house, 13 was the year. I always was glad when we moved to 14. But I came in and my Bible was on the kitchen table. And I read in Romans that God did what the law could not do. And that it was grace. And it absolutely altered my plan with this child. And now she's a special ed teacher. She has more patience and grace. But it absolutely revolutionized our relationship, was seeing that all my plans to try to mold and structure this kid uh, were futile, that it was grace. I needed God's grace to let her be who she was, and uh, that not only in attitude but in empowerment, how I talked to her and looked at her and grace to see that my husband was doing a pretty good job. I wasn't calling the shots all right. So that was a revolution in our house. 
for grace. Well, thank you so much, Carol. Uh, So thank you for having me here. She's seriously awesome. Really awesome. Our Our history is a history of waiting. Abraham waited. Sarah waited. Jacob waited. Tamar waited. Rahab waited. Boaz waited. Ruth waited. Jesse waited. David waited. Zachariah waited. Peter was asked to wait in Gethsemane with Jesus. Israel waited for at least 2,500 years for the promised Messiah. And then he came. And he asked them to wait some more. We seem to be a people who are called to wait. So how do we do it? The word wait in the English language, I really like definitions. I'm kind of weird that way. But it really was really interesting to me because it can be used as a verb in two different ways, with an object and without an object, and it makes a huge difference. The, the word to wait without an object means to remain inactive or a state of repose, a state of neglect even, to postpone or delay something. But you transform it to a verb with an object, and it means to continue in, as one in expectation, to await, to postpone or delay in expectation, to be in readiness for, to wait on as a sign of respect. As Christians, as people who follow Jesus, We don't wait on an object. We wait on God, the God. And we can wait because, as we talked about last week, we can hope. They are hopelessly intertwined. We can have confident expectations of things that will come to pass, and so we can be truly able to actively wait because we know who it is that we're waiting for and what we're waiting on. Our anxiety, it stems from a fear and an uneasiness and apprehension of being uncertain about the future. It gets transformed into anticipation when it carries a sense of expectation. We wait for him who has already come and who will come again. We wait on the one who promises to use this time to refine us and to grow us, to protect us and to care for us. The psalmists call us to hear as they announce, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. They say, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 130, they cry, I will wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I will put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning, more than the watchmen wait for the morning. There is a pilgrimage story by an unknown author. Helps us to look at the way God uses this time of waiting. There's a pilgrim who took off on a long journey in search of peace and joy and love. And he passed through landscapes that were not always happy ones. He passed through war and sickness, quarrels and rejections and separations. The pilgrim passed through a land where the more people possessed, the more warlike they became. 
the more they had to defend, the more they needed to attack one another. Longing for peace, they prepared for war. Longing for love, they surrounded themselves with walls of distrust and fear. One morning, the pilgrim came to a little cottage on the side of a road. And something about this little cottage attracted the pilgrim. And full of curiosity, he went inside. Inside, there was a little shop. And behind it stood a little shopkeeper. It was hard to judge the age of the shopkeeper. It was actually really hard to tell whether it was actually a man or a woman. But there was a sense of timelessness around the place. What would you like? The shopkeeper asked. What do you sell? The pilgrim inquired. Oh, we have all the things that you most long for, said the shopkeeper. Just tell me what it is you desire. Well, said the pilgrim, I want peace in my own family. In my native land and in the whole world, I want peace. I want those who are sick to be well again. I want those who are lonely to have friends. I want those who are hungry to have enough to eat. There was a pause while the pilgrim reviewed his list. Gently, the shopkeeper broke in. I'm sorry. I should have explained. We do not supply the fruits here. We only supply the seeds. An apple picked too soon is sour. An apple picked too late is rotten. An athlete who leaves his mark too early will miss his play. One who leaves too late will let someone get by. A comedian's line delivered too early falls flat. Delivered too late makes no sense. So we wait. Because we wait for the one who ordains time itself. We keep our eyes trained to the door, waiting to respond, not full of anxiety, but of anticipation, longing to see the face of the one we love walk through again. This is Advent, my friends. It is the coming. It is a time of preparation and waiting that draws us closer the one who loved us enough to come find us where we were first. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you that you have entered into this world long before we ever sought you. You found us when we were dirty and lonely and lost, and you told us that there were none too far gone for your grace. You call us to a life that follows you not of dreams but of reality, a beautiful reality we could not begin to imagine. You call us from a place of fear into hope, of confident expectation in you and what you are doing. You call us out of anxiety and distrust to a place of anticipation and glorious waiting for the day you come again. 